0: Policy Research Associates is committed to the well-being and wellness of individuals with behavioral health conditions.
1: To help spread information about the importance of the eight dimensions of wellness and recovery, we created a podcast series to address each pillar of wellness. This podcast on physical wellness features Dr. Mark Steinberg, a clinical psychologist and associate professor of psychiatry at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Dr. Steinberg is joined by two guests. Lisa and Deidre, both of whom are consumer tobacco advocates. In this podcast, Dr. Steinberg provides statistics related to smoking among individuals with serious mental illness, and Lisa and Deidre share their personal life experiences with smoking cessation. To learn more about PRA's work on well being and wellness, contact us at wellbeing at PRAINC.com.
2: Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Dr. Mark Steinberg. And I'm a clinical psychologist and associate professor of psychiatry at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Our podcast today primarily focuses on the physical wellness dimension, but you'll see that we talk about the importance of addressing tobacco use in individuals with mental health issues. We'll also be touching upon several others. An important part of today's podcast will be my discussion with two individuals who happen to have mental health diagnoses, Deidre and Lisa. Lisa have quit smoking and now work to help other consumers understand how important quitting is for their health. Before we really get started, though, I'd like to put the issue of tobacco use in perspective. To do that, I'd like you to think about something that you, can, that you might be able to go to the store and buy legally that could be dangerous, because cigarettes are dangerous, though you can still buy them legally. So just take a moment and think of something else you can go to the store and buy legally even though it can be dangerous. You might be imagining a gun. Guns could be dangerous. Or maybe you're imagining alcohol because sometimes people drink too much and get sick or drink so much that they do something dangerous. Maybe you're imagining a car. Cars can be dangerous because people sometimes drive too fast or lose control of their cars and get into car accidents. You might even be imagining cleaning supplies. Cleaning supplies can be dangerous if young kids get into their parents' supplies and ingest them. So why are cigarettes so special when lots of things can be dangerous? Well, a major difference regarding cigarettes is that they are the only consumer product you can go to the store and buy legally that when used as intended, not when you use it wrong, not when you use too much of it, not when it's broken, but when used as the tobacco industry intended, will kill up to half of its long-term users and you just can't say that about any other consumer product. For some more perspective, think about some of the major epidemics in the United States. There are horrible diseases like AIDS, people die of motor vehicle accidents, people die from homicides, from alcohol and drug overdoses, people die from suicides, many horrible things. Again, why are cigarettes so special? Well, cigarettes are responsible for more deaths than AIDS, motor vehicle accidents, homicide, alcohol, illicit drugs, and suicide combined. In fact, tobacco use kills more than the equivalent of three Boeing 747 jumbo jet crashes every single day in the United States. That's more than 480,000 Americans every year. So even though it's not on the news every night, it's clear that tobacco use is a public health crisis in America. And so when I tell people what I do for a living, that I work on tobacco use and dependence in people with mental illness, they often say, well, you know, I understand why you would be interested in tobacco use, but why smokers with mental illness? And that's an understandable question, but I have an easy answer. That's who most of the smokers are. The Centers for Disease Control found that while less than 17% of U.S. adults smoke cigarettes, about 36% of adults with mental health disorder smoke. In fact, 31% of all cigarettes smoked in the United States are smoked by someone with a mental health disorder. And if we include individuals with alcohol or illicit drug use disorders, then the proportion rises to 40%. That's 40% of all cigarettes smoked in the United States being smoked by someone with a behavioral health issue. They also found that those with a mental health disorder were much less likely to have ever quit smoking. More than 50% of ever smokers have quit, but only about 34% of those with a mental health disorder have quit. So even after I explain how common smoking is among people with mental illness, people still say to me, well, you know, that's interesting, but isn't that the least of their problems? And the answer is no. To the family who loses a loved one to tobacco use, smoking is the problem. While we certainly know that smoking is harmful to everyone's health, whether they have a mental illness or not, there are unique and additional negative consequences of smoking for people with mental illness, especially for people with serious mental illness like schizophrenia. People with serious mental illness die on average several years earlier than the general population, and much of that early death is smoking related. In addition, smoking has negative consequences for some of the medications that people with mental illness may be taking. There is something in the cigarette smoke, and it's not the nicotine, That increases the metabolism of some psychiatric medications. So if you metabolize the medication too quickly because you're a smoker, then the medication either doesn't work well enough for you because you don't have enough in your system at any given time, or the doctors have to prescribe higher doses, which are likely to be associated with greater side effects. Again, it is not the nicotine that causes this increased metabolism. And that's good news because it means that we can safely use nicotine replacement therapies to help smokers quit, and it won't interfere with psychiatric meds. Another negative consequence is the expense. Although smoking is expensive for everybody, people with serious mental illness are more likely to experience financial hardships, and smoking makes this worse. A few years ago, my colleagues and I published a paper where we examined a group of smokers with schizophrenia to find out how much money they were spending on cigarettes and how that compared to the amount of public assistance funds they were receiving. We found that they were spending 27% of their public assistance funds on cigarettes. Now, just imagine in your own life the effects of feeling like you need to spend 27% of your income on something and what a hardship that would be. So to put that into context, this is about the percentage of your income that lenders suggest you limit yourself to for a mortgage on your house. Lastly, mental illness is unfortunately stigmatized in this country. People hold negative stereotypes about people with mental illness. Smoking, for better or worse, is also stigmatized. So people with mental illness who smoke really experience a double whammy of stigma. So... Given the fact that smokers with mental illness are more likely to smoke, are more likely to be heavy smokers, are less likely to quit, and have additional and unique negative consequences from smoking, we really need to do something to address tobacco use in this vulnerable population. One thing that we can do is to provide tobacco dependence treatment to smokers in behavioral health systems. We know that a combination of FDA-approved medications and behavioral support gives a smoker the best chance of quitting. Unfortunately, less than 5% of smokers making a 24-hour quit attempt receive any type of behavioral counseling to help them quit. And this is really unfortunate because behavioral health providers have the required skills to provide tobacco dependence treatment. Behavioral health providers know how to help their patients with problem solving, with coping with difficult situations or emotions, with social skills, with making better choices, and with avoiding high-risk situations. These skills are essentially the same type of skills that are required to help somebody to quit smoking. I've provided a lot of tobacco dependence treatment training, and I can tell you that it is much easier to teach a behavioral health care provider how to help people to quit smoking than it is to teach a tobacco treatment specialist how to treat people with mental illness. One avenue for increasing quit attempts in smokers with mental health diagnoses might be to enlist peers to encourage others with behavioral health issues to quit smoking. In New Jersey, we have the CHOICES Program, which stands for Consumers Helping Others Improve Their Condition by Ending Smoking. I'm lucky to have two consumer tobacco advocates from the CHOICES Program with me today, Lisa and Deidre, and they've agreed to speak with me a little about their experiences. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me today. Hi, thanks for having me today.
2: Thanks again for joining me. As consumers who quit smoking years ago and then went on to work with other consumers who smoke, I think you really have a unique perspective. So first, I'd like to hear a bit about your experience with the behavioral healthcare system back when you were smokers. So starting with you, Lisa, tell me a little bit about what the doctor who prescribed your psych meds had to say about your smoking.
1: Well, the doctor that I was seeing was a primary care physician. He knew that I had been hospitalized for uh, mental health issues, and he knew my diagnoses. I was seeing a therapist who did not prescribe the medication. Um, So for the interim, I went to my primary care uh, doctor. Uh, I was using the patch, and at the time, uh, I would take the patch off to smoke a cigarette, and when I talked to my doctor... Uh, about it. He became uh, very upset. Uh, He felt that uh, there would be dire consequences uh, to smoking with the patch on, and he really wanted me um, to either use the patch and not smoke or continue smoking. He also had a problem with the anxiety that I was starting to uh, experience, and and he felt that the anxiety uh, was being masked by the smoking. So in a lot of ways, he made it easier for me to make the decision to continue to
2: smoke. So what did you think about that, a doctor essentially telling you to continue smoking?
1: Well, at the time, being a smoker and and dealing with uh, the mental health issues that I was dealing with and believing that smoking was helping me on the one hand, and then intellectually knowing that smoking was not good for my health, here is a medical professional saying that, you know, you probably should continue smoking. Um, It made it easy for me, but um, long-term looking back, uh, I'm very disappointed uh, in that professional and any medical professional that would do that because I would have cut 20 years off of uh, the number of years that I smoked had he uh, done the right thing and really helped me towards the goal of quitting smoking, which I had undertaken.
2: What about you, Deirdre? What was your experience when you were a smoker? Did anyone in the mental health system try to help you to quit?
0: No one helped me, but what happened was that I was leaving an appointment with my fingers were stained with cigarette smoke and he was just telling me that it was gonna be the cigarettes that kill me. And he just didn't mention it again or do anything to help me quit. But back then, you know, this was a while ago, there probably wasn't the kind of help that you have today. I think there was just a patch.
2: That must have been so scary. They essentially told you smoking is going to kill you and then didn't do anything to try to help you.
0: I didn't think anything of it because this was a while ago and I was younger and I just felt like I was invincible at that point.
2: Thanks, Deidre. From previous conversations, I know you were both pretty aware of the effects smoking had on your finances. So let's talk a little bit about that. Deidre, I know you've actually kept track of how much money you've saved by quitting smoking. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Since I quit, my last cigarette was on September 12th, 2007, and I've saved $126,000 and I've saved all of that since September 12th of 2007 and that counts like what I've earned with choices and also what what I've saved from not having not not buying cigarettes anymore
2: Wow that's just tremendous what's different about your life now that you don't have to spend so much on cigarettes
0: recently like Maybe about about six months ago, I bought a new car, or it's fairly new. It's t- 2013 certified Honda. I never would have been able to do that if I didn't wasn't saving money from quitting smoking. And I also have a cat. I've been able to afford him. He's he can be kind of pricey. He's got picky tastes. And, you know, so he can be expensive, too.
2: That's really great, Deidre. How about you, Lisa? How did money influence your decision to quit smoking?
1: I I really don't take credit for quitting smoking. The final act, yes. But um, I was one of those unapologetic smokers that, you know, when you talk to me about money, I was um, able to afford to smoke. So that was not an issue. But unfortunately, as our economy became bad in 2007, 2009, during that time period, my son, um, who was independent, had a great job, had a car, all those wonderful things, uh, lost his job and came to live with me because, of course, that's what you do as a mom. And in my case, uh, I then lost my job. We were both smokers. Um, We were spending... Uh, $14 a day for two packs of cigarettes because we're pack-a-day smokers, $98 a week, $400 a month. So when I say I don't take credit, it was my adult son who said to me, we cannot afford to smoke. We had a lot of financial um, issues. Um, There were days that I honestly could say I felt a little hungry. Um, there was food in the pantry, but, you know, you either went to make a tuna sandwich, there was either no bread or there was no mayonnaise. So um, our lifestyle was one where the cost of cigarettes was really impacting how we lived every day. And that ultimately led me to think about quitting.
2: Thank you. That's, you know, something like that is really easy to take for granted for some people. When you're making a decision about, you know, whether or not you can make this, even the sandwich that you want to make – that's that's a very big deal. Um, so now you've both been ex-smokers for many years. Tell me a bit about how you quit. Deidre?
0: I was really thinking about quitting, thinking to myself as I was smoking outdoors that I really wanted to quit, that I really should quit, that I might get lung cancer or emphysema, and that I was really... I was really taking chances by smoking and so I bumped into a friend of mine at an AA meeting who had quit and she was chewing nicotine gum. I asked her how she did it and she gave me the number for the New Jersey Quit Center in New Brunswick the Tobacco Dependence Program. I went up there, filled out an application, met with a counselor who gave me a free box of patches and then I went into the support group and the doctor there gave me a prescription for the inhaler so with the patches in the inhaler I started to try to quit I had to try eight times and I kept falling off the wagon I couldn't get any time together and finally I decided that I meant business I was really serious about quitting and so I quit my last cigarette was September 12th of 2007 and I quit and I haven't smoked, smoked a cigarette since.
1: Well, I smoked for 41 years. And I think one of the reasons why I smoked so long was the belief that cigarettes were my, my friend. When I was dealing with some very um, dark days of my mental illness, I felt very disconnected to people. And cigarettes seemed to, uh, or so I thought, make my symptoms better, make me um, actually... Uh, feel better. Uh, How I came to quit once my son uh, really badgered me about the financial end of it, I was working a part-time job that was a helpline. And people would call in for a number of uh, reasons uh, looking for assistance. And one person called and asked about quitting smoking. And I found the same program that Deidre just mentioned. And I shared that information with the caller, and I wrote it down for myself. And I didn't immediately uh, go to get the help but um, I eventually did go get the help and I sat down with a counselor once a week I was using uh, the patch uh, Wellbutrin, which I was familiar with um, as one of the drugs I had been taking in the past and I was using something called the inhaler which I thought was terrific and it was around Christmas and I found out that uh, our unemployment may be cut off So I went through a panic, and I went back to smoking. Uh, When she returned from her vacation, I had already gone back to smoking full-time. So she called me about six months later when there was a um, group that she had formed that was meeting once a week, and she invited me to come, and I did. And there were other people like myself that were trying to uh, quit smoking. And after three months of going to group and of wearing the patch, Uh, Of taking Wellbutrin and using the inhaler, I was able to quit after
2: 41 years. That's great. So you you both had some difficulty, but you were really persistent and and stuck with it and and were successful. And you've been successful for a long time now. That's that's really fantastic. I'm really glad to hear about it. A lot of people think that if people with mental health diagnoses quit smoking, that their mental health symptoms will get worse. What effect, if any, did quitting have on your mental health?
0: Quitting smoking had a great effect on my mental health because one of the medications I was on was metabolized more quickly due to all the chemicals in cigarette smoke, and it lowered the blood level of this one medication that I was on. And so in turn, uh, basically quitting enabled me to... That medication was working a lot better, you know, once I quit. And it enabled me to work on my medical, you know, my medical stuff. And it enabled me to work
1: on fine-tuning my medication so that I feel better. I was pleasantly surprised when I started the um, nicotine replacement therapy and I started trying to quit that my mental health was not affected in the way that I thought it would be. Yes, I was uh, feeling um, very strong uh, withdrawal symptoms in the beginning, but the beginning only lasted, um, I think, for a few days. I think the nicotine replacement therapy stopped what some people call is uh, grouchiness or meanness or what you might go through when you're trying to quit um, cold turkey. So my experience actually, uh, it was not comfortable in all honesty, but um, at the same time, it did not affect um,
2: my mental health. Thank you both. You know, that's, it's, your experiences are really very consistent with what the research says. We see Uh, From many research studies, that people with mental health diagnoses are able to quit smoking, and when they do, their psychiatric symptoms do not get worse. So, I'm glad to hear that you had that experience too. So, I know that uh, as part of the Choices program, you go out and meet with a lot of other smokers. Um, So, tell me, do you find that a lot of consumers want to quit when you do your work with the Choices program?
0: Most of the people in in these groups that we do with the choices program want to quit because they can see how well we're doing and they want what we have so it really is you know a lot of
1: most of the people want to quit like Deidre I find that many people that I talk to want to quit when you are in a room um, of six to ten smokers or more you will find there are some that will uh, say that they don't want to quit for obvious reasons because it feels good to them. But many people say that they actually do want to quit. And the difficulty is they're just not ready to quit or they don't know the next steps to take so that they can quit.
2: That's a really great point about the difference between wanting to quit and and being ready to quit. I think a lot of Smokers do want to quit, and it sounds like um, getting ready to quit is is a big part of that next step as well. So what would you like to say to any consumers who smoke who are listening to this podcast?
0: At the time when I was thinking about quitting, I didn't want to quit because I knew it was going to be very tough. I didn't want to quit, but I knew that if I didn't want the consequences of smoking, that I had to quit so I knew that I was in danger of getting a lung lung disease and dying of that lung disease so I I wasn't willing to take the consequences of smoking anymore and it's not like I really wanted to quit but I had to quit
2: great so what about if you are talking to someone and they say that they aren't ready to quit.
1: So when people talk to me about not being um, ready to quit, I try to focus more on what to do when they are ready to quit. I, I believe today that more smokers are ready to quit than they actually realize, that it's the plan that they need to have in order to quit that will help them to that point of quitting. So what I mean is many of the programs that I've been involved in in the past, personally, when people wanted you to quit, they'd say, set a quit date. Well, to a smoker, that's very difficult. You get to that date and all of a sudden someone expects you to throw away cigarettes, to throw away your friends, to throw away that lifeline that you've had, that companion, for a very long time. So what I try to talk to people about is have a plan, understand the uh, nicotine replacement therapies that are out there, how you get a hold of them, how they work for you. Uh, the resources that you can go to either with your psychiatrist or within uh, your program at a hospital um, so that the second that you decide that you want to quit, that's already in place for you to get to that next step.
2: I, I think that's a really great point, Lisa, the idea that people need to know what resources are available to them. So when they move from just wanting to quit in general to actually being ready to quit, I think that's a big, that sounds like that's a big part of what you do as part of the choices program, making sure that people know what resources are available to them when they do get to that point of being ready. What about you, Deidre? What do you tell people when, even when they aren't ready to quit?
0: Not everybody is ready to quit. And I wasn't really ready to quit when I started thinking about quitting smoking. But what I think is an important point is that you don't have to be ready and you don't have to want to quit. You don't have to even be, you know, ready or anything. I mean, and and you don't have to have the willpower. I was so weak as a result of being addicted to cigarettes that I definitely didn't have the willpower to quit. But you don't need any of that stuff in order to just get started. So it's important just to get started, just to set a quit date and go ahead and try it. And then what happens is that you meet so many people that are quitting smoking too. You know, between Nicotine Anonymous and the New Jersey Quit Center that I was using, I was just, you know, I was in the community of people that were quitting smoking, you know, you, you start getting inspired.
2: So similar to what Lisa was saying, the idea of, so it sounds like you weren't really quite, you didn't, weren't so sure that you were ready to quit, but you knew what these resources were. So you just gave it a try and didn't try by yourself, but really made use of these resources that were out there for you. Yes. I think that's, that's a great idea. And I think that it's really, Consistent with the experience of lots of other smokers that I talk to, both wanting to quit and not wanting to quit at the very same time, wanting to continue smoking because it feels good and also wanting to quit because they know that it's doing a lot of harm to themselves. So, what would you say to those working in behavioral health who are listening? When we're
1: out uh, speaking to uh, mental health consumers, we meet a lot of uh, behavioral health specialists, and they run the gamut. Some of them are very old-fashioned in their beliefs. For example, they believe that if you smoke while you have the patch on, you'll have a heart attack, while others are very supportive of um, helping uh, their consumers quit. I think uh, it's most important that the staff does become educated um, and and become current on knowledge about NRT and um, what programs are available to help. And I think most important, I think they need to lead by example. I have seen staff members smoke, and also not to preach. Sometimes when we think we're helping someone by uh, beating them up over the head about um, the the negative thing that they're doing, we're not moving them closer to that goal. We're moving them away in defiance. I would just say
0: that support was so important to me when I was quitting that I would just say it's almost definitely a requirement, particularly if you're using – nicotine replacement therapy because it helps you to learn how to use it and it's just really important to have this moral support while you're quitting you know everybody telling you you know that it's great that you're quitting and and the support is just very very important and also I would just say to clinicians that are working with the mental health population that are trying to get people to quit, you can start a group. And in the group, you can use the learning about healthy living manual, which has a lot of, for each group, it's, it's a little bit different, but a lot of them center on quitting smoking. And learning about healthy living manual that we've used in our groups in choices, you know, we've used those uh, one year. We were doing a lot of that. So I would just say that if you can go ahead and start a quit smoking group, that would be really important.
2: Great. So it sounds like the idea is don't preach, but make sure that you can be supportive. So that's that sounds like the between the two of you, that's your message to... Uh, behavioral health providers. So, you know, thank you both very much for this important information. I think it's really helpful and you have a really unique perspective that many people um, will really benefit from. I think some of the take home messages for our listeners is that there are high rates of smoking in behavioral health systems, but many consumers do want to quit. And the good news is that mental health consumers can quit and they can quit without their psychiatric symptoms getting worse. We have good treatments to help consumers who smoke to quit, and we need to make sure consumers have easy access to them. If we do that, we can really improve the physical health and overall quality of life of mental health consumers. For our listeners who are interested in learning more about the work that Lisa and Deidre do for the Choices program, please check out the Choices website, njchoices.org. I'm Dr. Mark Steinberg, and thank you for listening.